You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. You know, normally when you come into the new year um, as a pastor, and if you've been a part of church for any amount of time, you know that when you come into the new year, uh, normally you like to start the new year with a, a nice big uh, teaching series or something that you can really promote and put out there. And I got to tell you, originally, about a month ago, I had uh, what I feel like God put on my heart for the start of this year, uh, a teaching series that we uh, are going to do, just not today. <laughs> originally, I was going to start it today, but as you know, if you've been in, uh, by church at any amount of time, uh, I like to say this because this is true. Uh, our plan here at the church, our, um, as myself, the leadership team, our plan is always plan B. And uh, God's plan is plan A. And so though we come up with ideas or we plan for the future like you should, that's wisdom, right? But as we get to certain places, if we, see, we hear God say, actually, I don't need you to do that just yet. I need you to do this. Then we're always going to uh, go and do what God's uh, told us to do. Uh, and so here's the thing. Uh, as I've been praying over, as we ended last year coming into this year, I was just praying, God, what do you have for, for my family this year? What do you have for our church this year? And I continued to hear the same word over and over, and it was this, revival, revival. And that sounds exciting. And so, you know, whenever I first heard that, I was just like, you know, my, my mind started going and I just started thinking about what does that mean for our church and how, how you know, uh, looking in God's word, where do we see moments of revival take place? And as I started preparing, I started thinking, man, this is what we need to talk about at the beginning of the year is revival. And as I started diving into it, um, I was attacking or coming at uh, a revival and the topic of revival from one angle. Uh, and then just a couple days ago, God said, that's not the angle I need for this week. I need this angle, and it's uh, the, the angle of revival in me, revival in me. And so normally we have, uh, you know, note-taking cards that have fill-in-the-blanks and all that stuff for you, but uh, because uh, God, uh, what I like to say is he did the swoop and swap on me, right? Revival, but yes, this is what I need you to talk on. Uh, we just have the blank note-taking cards, but be ready because I have a lot of things I feel like God has given me specifically for you today to write down. So if you're not normally a note-taker, uh, please be one today, because I guarantee God's going to speak uh, through me to you today, uh, through this word. Revival in me. You know, everyone wants to see revival. We want to be a part of revival. We want to see revival take over. We, we want to see revival in America and our nation turn back to God. We want to see other nations turn to God, and we want to see a move of God uh, throughout our city, our state, our, our nations. We want to see all of these things, but sometimes I think as Christians, one of the things we fail to do is we fail to be honest with ourselves and ask the question, do I have revival in me? I want to see it elsewhere, but many times that's what we do with other people's sin, right? Or just sin in general. It's easy to see what's wrong in their life or what's wrong in that country or in that city or in our city or that state or that family. It's easy to see what's wrong there without addressing what's going on in here. But in here is where the greatest revival will ever start and continue to take place. In fact, here's what I want to show you today. When I think of revival, I don't often think of the story that we're going to talk about today. It's in a passage in Luke um, 24. We'll get to it in just a second. Luke 24. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. Luke 24. Here's what we see. is We see this is right after Jesus has he's been crucified. He's been risen from the dead. And now he is walking. And he meets up with these two disciples that are walking to Jerusalem. And as they're walking, Jesus is walking with them. And they don't realize that they're walking with Jesus. 
After this, this moment where Jesus is walking with these two disciples, after this is when the church is birthed. We see the, the first church really assemble and they receive the, the Holy Spirit and now they're empowered to go out and do what Jesus did. They continue to be the body of Christ. And ever since then, that is simply the, the first spark of one of the greatest, obviously the greatest revival our world has ever seen and it's can still continuing today. The church has outlived any other organization ever, right? The church of Jesus Christ. It's continuing to grow and move and operate today. So I think it's important that we look at, and this is what God showed me, what happened before that. In order for the the people that were with Jesus to truly take his fire and his Holy Spirit to the world. And that's what we're going to look at today. So here's what we're going to look at. Three steps to revival in me. If I am going to truly take the fire of the Holy Spirit, if I'm going to take Jesus with me, and as we say here at Abide Church, live, love, and look like him to the world around me, then I have to ask myself, am I doing these three things? Have I seen these three things, these three steps happen in me? Revival in me has to be first. Then I can share it with other people. Let's read the passage, or part of the passage, and then I'll give you number one here. Let's start in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. And it says this, uh, Now behold, two of them, two of the disciples, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. They're talking about Jesus being crucified and being put to death. So it was, while they conversed in reason, that Jesus himself drew near, and he went with them. But their eyes were restrained. Remember that, we'll come back to that. So they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have that one, with one another as you walk and are sad? So obviously they're pretty distraught, right? They're, they're, their uh, Lord, their, their rabbi, their, their Messiah was just crucified and now they're walking with no hope. Uh, they're walking thinking it's all over. Everything that we thought we believed in was a lie. They thought he was the Messiah and he was put to death. So here they are. You're sad. Let's go to verse 18. Then one... Uh, Then the one whose name was Cleopas, he answered and he said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here or there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? I love it. I mean, if you don't, here's the thing about reading the Bible. There's a lot of humor in the Bible and Jesus uh, and God, God has a good sense of humor. Okay, you just got to read the Bible for a little bit to see this, right? Jesus, he's literally playing dumb with them. What things? What are you guys talking about, right? What what are we talking about here? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to, to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things have happened. So here's what we see. There's three, there's three things that we see here, uh, and I'll get to those in just a second. The first point number one is this. Three steps of revival. Step number one is I need to deal with my disappointment. You've got to deal with your disappointment. And this is what we see in the start of this story. The disciples are walking, and they couldn't tell that Jesus was walking with them because of their despair and their disappointment. They didn't even see Jesus because they were so distraught. Now, yeah, there might have been a little bit of divine intervention. Maybe they were, uh, you know, uh, God blinded them to the fact of that. But I believe that the reason their eyes were constricted, as it says, or restrained, is because they were so distraught 
They were so in such disappointment of what had just happened that they couldn't even realize that Jesus was walking with them. Well, how do we know that? Well, number one, Jesus asked, why are you sad? That's the first thing. The second one that we see is they called Jesus, and this is the big one, they called Jesus a prophet when before they had called him the Messiah. So think of this. They, these disciples are so distraught, and they are so disappointed, they are so heartbroken that the man that they had followed and loved and modeled their life after for these years, now they say Jesus the prophet was put to death. Was he a prophet? Yes. But they have actually stripped Jesus of his messiahship. That's how distraught they are. They don't even see Jesus as the messiah anymore. How? He's, He's dead. He did not redeem Israel. In their minds, they thought he's gone forever. Everything we hoped for is over. Imagine that. You thought you found the Messiah. He was put to death. And now you have no hope. Imagine a moment in your life where you were the most heartbroken. Can you think of that? I have a few that I can think of where you were just crushed. This is where they are. Crushed. Trying to process what just happened. The third thing is this. They said, we were hoping he'd redeem Israel. We were hoping that he would redeem Israel. Here's the thing we notice about the disciples is this. Once again, they're thinking too small. They were hoping that he would redeem Israel when God's plan all along is that Jesus would go through this so he could redeem what? The world. (laughs) They were consumed with our world and Israel and our people when Jesus said, no, I've come for the world. God said, I've loved the world so much that I gave, right, for the world world, the whole world. And I think this, many times we face disappointment in prayer because we believed too small and God was doing something bigger. Let me say that again in case you missed it. Many times we face disappointment in prayer. We think our prayers went unanswered because we believed too small, redeem Israel, when God was doing something bigger behind the scenes and he said, no, I'm actually here for the world. He wanted to do something bigger, but we were believing this much when he said, I want to do this much. It doesn't happen every time, but I think many times in my life, that's exactly what happened. I look back, and those people that I prayed for, that relationship I hoped would work out, I look back, and I'm like, whew, thank you, God, for saving me from that relationship or that girlfriend or whatever it might have been, right? Anybody ever been there before, right? Thank you that I did not marry that person. Come on, you can be honest. Did anybody get in that situation before? Thank you for saving me from that. Yes, that's the thing. That's, that's exactly what happens. Sometimes we look back and we think, Now I can see what God was doing. But here's what we have to realize. When we're dealing with your disappointment, until you deal with the disappointment of your unmet expectations, you aren't able to see and believe what is actually true about your life and your circumstance. Until you deal with the disappointment of your unmet expectations, you aren't able to see or even believe what is actually true about your life and circumstance. These disciples thought their life was over. Like we're not disciples anymore, okay? Our rabbi is dead. We're going back to our work. They, could, they failed to see what God was about to do in the future, how God was going to use them in a mighty way. Every lie you've believed about God or you, you must take captive before you can clearly see the road ahead. Every lie that you've believed about God or about yourself, you've got to take it captive before you can ever see what God is about to do in your life and in the future. And here's what we have to realize too. Why is disappointment, why is dealing with your disappointment such a big deal? The longer, let me say it like this. All of us have things that we prayed for that didn't turn out the way that we wanted. And unless you place your disappointment at the foot of the cross, 
it'll become the idol that you worship. Let me say that again, and I'll tell you what I mean. All of us have things that we prayed for that didn't turn out the way that we wanted. But unless you place your disappointment at the foot of the cross, it'll become the idol that you worship. And here's what I mean. Too many believers identify their lives and themselves by the disappointments in their life rather than the truth of God's word. Okay? Meaning this. I talk to a lot of believers, and I've been guilty of this myself, where I prayed for something and it didn't turn out how I wanted. It went unanswered in my mind. But then I live my life from that moment on into the future, and that disappointment becomes the thing that always comes up in my conversations, becomes the thing that I'm always thinking about late at night. It becomes the thing that I just can't get past, and then years later or decades later, I go back and I'm constantly thinking about, well, that moment in time where I was disappointed, I was at my lowest and I was heartbroken. And what happens? The devil will use a moment of disappointment as an idol. We don't see it as an idol, but it is. We raise it up, he'll raise it up in our life. And for our whole life, we'll continue to go back to it and bow down to it and say, look what happened in my life. Look what happened in my life. Here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about denying disappointment. I'm not talking about denying that you were heartbroken. I'm not talking about living in denial in any, in any way, shape, or form. But here's what, I, here's what I'm saying. I refuse to let my unanswered prayers, my, my heartaches, my disappointments, or my seemingly lost battles identify who I am. My identity is found in the finished work of Jesus. I refuse to let this moment in time capture me for the rest of my life. I refuse to stay here because I'll be enslaved to it and it'll be an idol in my life. I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not talking about living in denial that heartbreak happened. In fact, here's what I would say. How do you deal with disappointment? You must mourn. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 4 says this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Here's what happens. In the name of faith, too many times believers don't mourn. I just got to have faith and move on and, and, and don't ever deal with it. But can I tell you, Jesus himself said, blessed are those who mourn. Sometimes you're going to face a disappointment, but if you don't allow yourself to have a moment or a season, just a, a little bit of time to actually process and to mourn in here, you can never be comforted. So how do I deal with my disappointment? I've got to take some time to mourn what happened. To be transparent, last year, uh, a little over a year ago, um, Leslie and I had uh, the first of our, our miscarriages, and I didn't realize how much I didn't mourn until months later. And this is why this is so real to me. Like, why do you have to deal with your disappointment? Because I was heartbroken, I was devastated, and I was so disappointed in the moment, in the, in the seemingly lost battle, that I didn't properly take time to actually talk about it with people that I love. And because of that, it eventually caught up with me months later, and it caused all kinds of emotional health issues. And this is what happens in our lives. This is what happens in Christianity. We think, I can just be strong and power through, but we're actually going against the words of Jesus himself. Take time to mourn. Here's what I'm not talking about on the other ditch is this. Mourning is necessary. It's a necessary season, but God never designed you to stay there. I must take time to mourn and to process what just happened. 
but I'm not supposed to stay here forever. Because if I stay here forever, then I just fell back into the trap of it is now an idol in my life. I'm going back to my disappointment, and I always stay there, stay there, and I never get over it. Mourning is a season, a necessary season, but it is not your destination. That's why Psalm 23, 4 says this, Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not that, yeah, though I camp in the valley of the shadow, not, not, not that I'm, I'm living in, not that I got there and then I, you know, I broke down and I'm stuck here. That's not God's desire for you. But his, his, his desire is this, you will go through some valleys. You will go through some valleys and it's going to be tough and you may feel disappointment, you may feel heartbreak, and you may feel like you're walking through some death. But what does he say? I'm here to go through it with you. You see, this is what's fascinating about the disciples in this story is this. They're walking with Jesus and they don't even see it. And this is why we must deal with disappointment and unanswered, unanswered prayers is because we don't, when we don't deal with it and we're consumed with disappointment we don't see how close Jesus is they thought Jesus was gone and in a tomb they thought Jesus was gone forever but where, where, where was he talking to them and if you're in a season of disappointment right now can I tell you something Jesus is closer than you even realize don't let your disappointment steal his intimacy with you because I have I've done that and it's a, it's a dark road to go down. Jesus is closer than you can ever imagine. And guess what? He hasn't stopped talking. He wants to talk to you today and bring healing today. So here's the thing. If you don't deal with your disappointment, then your disappointment will deal with you. <laughs> your disappointment will deal with you. It'll be a constant thing that you battle for the rest of your life. And that's not God's desire. You will have trouble. That's what Jesus said. You will, <laughs> you will have trouble. But he said, guess what? I've overcome the world. Trouble, you know, that verse, he says, you will have trouble. If that was a positive verse, we would take that as a promise, right? You will be healed. We take that as a promise, right? You will, I will provide. That's a promise. He said, you will have trouble. You're going to face some stuff. But guess what? We serve a God of what? Victory. Who said, though you may face it, though you may go through a valley from time to time, guess what? It may feel like you're disappointed, but don't let your focus get so small that you miss the big picture of what I'm going to do. And here's the other thing I would say. He says that he works everything to the good of those that love him. So if your situation and your disappointment, if you aren't experiencing good, then he's not done working. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop worshiping until you see the good. And that's tough to do sometimes. If you've lost a loved one or if you've been through a serious battle, that's tough to do sometimes. But I can only keep going when I know he works all things together for the good of those that love him. And maybe the, the good that I thought would be good wasn't the good that he had in store, but his goodness never changes. If it's not good yet, then he's not done working. We gotta deal with our disappointment. Here's the second one though. As we go, number two is this. We have to develop God's vision. Develop God's vision. We're going to continue in our story here in Luke 24. Develop God's vision. Let's look at Luke 24, starting in verse, uh, we'll skip down to verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets, that, all the things the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them 
in all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. At this moment, the disciples' eyes are opened and they see it's Jesus we've been walking with. When did their eyes get opened? Only when Jesus himself, who is the word uh, made flesh, who is the walking, talking word of God, only when Jesus, the word, pointed them back to the word, the scriptures. All he did was say, how are you slow, slow of heart to believe when everything that just happened, I wrote in, in here for you. <laughs> that you know the prophets had talked about this, that we had talked about it in person. Jesus points them back to scripture and only after Jesus reminded them of what the scripture said were their eyes opened. The disciples' spiritual dullness came from a failure to recognize and remember that the scriptures foretold of the Messiah's sufferings. All of the prophets talked about how the Messiah must suffer, but they seemingly blocked out those things and they didn't, they didn't remember them. And I would say this, our spiritual dullness comes from a failure to recognize and remember God's word. When I become spiritually dull, it's because I have failed to remember, I have failed to recognize what did God say in here. And when I neglect this, everything else goes out the window. I become dull, I become disappointed, and I become frustrated. This is so common, right? Too many times we, be, we want to believe with our eyes first, and then we'll believe in our hearts second. Right? That's what the world tells you to do. The world will tell you, culture will tell you, well, let me see it first and then I'll believe it second. If you can prove it, right, this whole Christianity thing, if you can prove it to me first, then I will believe it. But Jesus said it's actually the opposite in his kingdom. Jesus said, if you will believe first, you will see it come to pass. And that's the thing, when we're believing God for things in our life, when we're praying for things in our life, when we're praying for our marriage, when we're praying for uh, our job, our provision, when we're praying for healing, do I believe it in my heart first so I can see it come to pass in the natural? That's the real question. And, and, and Jesus talks about this, right? Let's go to John 20, 29. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who haven't seen, yet they still choose to believe. This is, this is human nature. Show me, then I will believe. It's going to take a little bit of guts and a little bit of faith to believe this in here before you see it right here. And that's what Jesus is showing us. He says it time and time again. Look at Mark eleven twenty three through 24. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but he believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Have them. This isn't living in denial. This isn't, this isn't living in some fairy tale land. He's just saying, he's reminding us, Jesus is saying, look, what you say is important to what you believe. Because if you look at how many times said, say is in here, it's three times more than, than believe is. Sometimes I have to say things until I believe it in my heart. Sometimes I gotta say things even when I don't believe it in my heart. But the only way I'm going to believe it in my heart is I begin to confess it into my life. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says this, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Here's what I would say. Here's, here's another way of looking at it, if you will. This is the translation I would say. For we walk by God's vision, not by man's eyes. God's vision is through the lens through his word. So when I walk into a situation, when I face disappointment, when things come after me or I'm being attacked um, spiritually, we walk by God's vision, not by man's sight, man's eyes. So the question is this, do I know God's word enough to believe him over what I can see with my natural eyes? 
Do I know his word enough to believe him over what I can see in the natural? How do I develop God's vision? It's time with him every day, and it's becoming a student of his word. I must know his word. I must be in his word every single day. Without studying God's word, we become just like the disciples, quick to forget. The prophets already gave the disciples the answer to what Jesus was going to do, but they forgot it all. And most of them had those books of the Bible memorized, and they forgot it all. And this is the difference between reading the Bible to know it here versus reading the Bible to know it in here. Some of the people that I know that have the weakest faith are the smartest here with God's word. They got a lot of head knowledge. They can quote a lot of scripture at you, but they have failed to spend time with Jesus in a way where they quieted themselves, they've humbled, and they've let this book go to work in their life so that they could believe it in here. And until I believe it in here, I will never have God's vision. Without God's word, we'll face disappointment. We'll hang our head and we'll walk away from Jesus. But the good news is this, that he's never walked away from us. That's where the disciples were. Disappointed, forgot what the scripture said, hanged their head, walking, leaving. But what did Jesus say? I'm right here with you. What things do you want to talk about? Let's talk about it. The last thing is this, and I'll end with this, determine to abide. Number three is this, determine to abide. And this is why we're called Abide Church. Determine to abide. Determine means this, to firmly decide. To firmly decide. Luke 24, we're going to skip down to verse 28, says this. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated, Jesus indicated that he would have gone further. He was going to continue on. But look at this. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And Jesus went in to stay with them. This is everything right here. When I deal with my disappointment and I get back in God's word and I begin to catch his vision, now I have to take a moment, I gotta take it a step further and I have to make it intimate and personal for me. And this is what they do. They constrained him. One translation says this, they forcibly pleaded with him. What do they do? They cornered Jesus. They said, hey, you're not gonna continue going further without us. Stay with us, abide with us, come in with us. They weren't satisfied with Jesus being close. They said, Jesus, we want you to come in and be a part. Come in and be with us. Don't leave us, don't continue on, don't go, be with us. They constrained him forcibly pleading with him. There's two actions of Jesus in Luke 24. The first is he draws near. The second is that he abides, he comes in. And I would say this, let us not be a church, let us not be a people who are satisfied when Jesus is close. Let us be a people who will not quit until the king of glory moves in, abides with and takes over. Let me say it again. Let us not be a people who are satisfied with Jesus being close. Being close is good, but let us be a people who will not quit pursuing him until the king of glory moves in, abides with, and takes over. That's God's desire. And, and that's Jesus' response. He said, that's the type of invitation I will, I will come in. That's the invitation I'm looking for. That's the invitation I'm looking for. They just had to say three words, abide with us. But what was Jesus waiting for? He was going to keep going. He was waiting for an invitation. 
He was waiting for an invitation, and not just any invitation, an invitation that had some intensity behind it. An invitation that said, no, I'm going to corner you until you come in, Jesus. Like, that's how desperate I am. That's how determined I am that you abide with us. That's where I want you. I'm going to constrain you and say, come on, Jesus, please, be with us. And Jesus says, that's the type of invitation I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what he says in Hebrews eleven six. 6. The, the writer of Hebrews says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In America, I think many times we look over this. We like to quote this, but we look over this. Because if you would say, I'm diligent at work, I see reward. Similar in the kingdom. Would you still say, in the way that you would say you're diligent in an area, maybe you're a diligent, uh, um, you know, a cleaner, you're a diligent, uh, organized person, maybe you're diligent at your job, but does that same word describe how you pursue Jesus? Am I diligent in seeking him? And if not, then why am I expecting him to reward me? His word says he rewards those who diligently seek him. And is not not what he did in Luke 24? Diligently constrained him, forcibly pleaded with him, abide with us, abide with us, Jesus. And the question for us today is how desperate are you? How desperate are we for the king to abide with you? It's easy to get comfortable in America. It's easy to go and to just sit at church and go home. But church is more than an hour on Sunday. Too many people are reverse fasting in the kingdom. Spiritually. They show up on Sunday and they get fed. And they don't feed themselves spiritually for the rest of the week. And if that's you, I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I'm Holy Spirit might be convicting you. <laughs> I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to say, God wants more for you. If you will diligently seek him, be desperate for him, be determined to abide with him during the week and then let Sunday be a little extra for you. Sunday's important, gathering's important, it's biblical. But let us not forsake also our time spent with him intimately during the week. If we want revival, it starts with me, it starts with you. I need to deal with my disappointment. I need to develop God's vision by getting in his word. And number three, I need to be determined to abide with him forcibly, Jesus I'm desperate for you this morning and abide. Here's the reflection questions for today. The action steps I just gave you. (laughs) But here's the reflection questions. If you want to make this more personal, if I'm the ride home today, you want to talk with your spouse about this and be honest with this. Number one is this. Do you have a disappointment that you haven't dealt with yet? Is there something in your life that you haven't laid at the feet of Jesus? Is there something in your life that maybe you've still been hanging on to and it's been an idol. You haven't given it to him. And it's always coming up in your conversation. It's keeping you up at night. It's, you're dwelling on it when you should be dwelling on God and his word. What's a disappointment you haven't dealt with yet? Number two is this. Are you a student of God's word or a casual reader? Am I in it? Like, Jesus, speak to me today. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stop reading until you show me something. That's God's desire. I promise you, if you start reading God's word, maybe if you don't know where to start, just start in the Gospels, Matthew. Read a proverb. Just read through the Gospels and read one proverb every day. It'll rock your world. And ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me something today. Speak to me today. 
he will answer that prayer. And he will give you heart knowledge above head knowledge. Number three is this, how diligent and determined are you or am I for personal time with God? Do I have it in my schedule? Have I worked it in? (laughs) Do I spend time with him throughout the day? Or am I missing him? Am I missing an opportunity? God rewards those who diligently seek him. What do you need in your life? If it's a promise from God, he wants to reward you. He wants to answer that prayer. And it starts with what? A relationship with him. Intimacy with him. Not a checkbox. We made it to Sunday today. No, he wants to spend time with you this afternoon, tonight, and tomorrow morning. He wants to speak to you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is alive and it is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes to work in our life first and then in others so we can take it with us. And Lord, I just pray that today you would open our eyes for things that we need to adjust and to change so that we can experience revival in us, a fresh fire in us, a fresh excitement in us moving into the new year. Lord, I just pray that you would help us apply this to our life. Holy Spirit is our helper. Help us apply this to our life this week. Would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second? If you're in here today and you'd say, Pastor Dan, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Revival starts with relationship. It starts with, if you need God to reward you and answer a prayer, it starts with what? Relationship, diligently seeking him. And God's word says that when you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. If you're in here today and you you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, or maybe you did at one time, but you haven't been serious about it. You've, You've drifted away and you've been far from him. But today you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus for real. I just want to, I'm going to have you raise your hand, but I'm, I'm, I don't want to embarrass you. I see that hand over here. Once you raise it, you can put it back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. Have you do anything weird? I just want to know so we know who we can pray with today. Good. Second thing I'm going to ask is this. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor Dan, I need prayer for something in my life. Maybe it's big, maybe it's small, maybe it's just it's wisdom for work, wisdom for the future. Uh, maybe you need prayer for a heartbreak or disappointment. If that's you today, would you raise your hand and say, hey, I need prayer. I want, I'd like somebody to pray with me today over something that's going on in my life, my job, my, my, my year. I see that hand over here. Good. Anyone else? Awesome. You can put it back down. The last one is this. I'm going to pray corporately for this one. If you're in here today and you faced a disappointment that you haven't dealt with yet, As we talk today, maybe you knew exactly what that disappointment was, that unanswered prayer, and you haven't processed it yet. You haven't taken time to mourn. You haven't taken time to heal from it yet. But today, you would like healing from it. You would like freedom from it. You would like some closure with that. I'm not going to have you come up front, but I would like to just pray with you right here from stage. You can just stay at your seat, but would you raise your hand if that's you? Say, I face disappointment. I see that hand. I see those hands right here. I see that hand. I see that hand. You say, hey, I need, to, I need help dealing with this. Anybody else say, hey, I need that. Let me pray for those of you that just raised your hand. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're good. Thank you that your word says that you are good and you do good. And Lord, right now I pray for your sons and your daughters. Lord, the one whom you love, 
is hurting. The one whom you love is sick. The one whom you love is disappointed. Your son, your daughter. And Lord, you know. But God, today I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak in their heart right now. I pray that your peace would surround them, that you would give them the ability to spiritually begin to heal. Help them find those moments of intimacy with you that allows healing deep in their heart to take place. Help them, Lord, lay that disappointment at the feet of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that today would be day one of healing, day one of hope, day one of being able to live and breathe again like you've designed them to. Day one of that weight being lifted. Day one of that thing that's just held them back for too long being lifted and gone in their life. Not that it never happened, but Lord, I pray that today would begin the story of saying, look what God did through our disappointment. Look how God moved, though I was disappointed and heartbroken into my lowest place. Let today be the beginning of the story to say, I was there, but God did this. But we thank you that if it's not good yet, if it hasn't turned for good or worked for good, we thank you that you are not done. And because you are not done, we have expectancy and we have hope for the future. And God, we're going to continue pursuing you, determined to abide with you. And we thank you that as we seek you, you will reward us with the peace and the healing that we need. And I declare it for each of them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.